Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your words. We love to worship you. Thank you for that little session from Dana. God, we say you are victorious. And we want to know what it is to live in light of your victory. We pray this morning, as we look at your word, you'd stir our hearts afresh. Stir our hearts. Make us aware of your goodness, God, we pray. So be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those who don't know me very well, my name is Sam Ward. I'm married to uh, Nikki. We have two children, Willow and Alfie. I am uh, the son-in-law of the legends that are Graham and Marion Harrop, who have been uh, CCM Gore and attendees for a long time. And uh, it's great to finally join you there. We, I think we were going to church for about three weeks before lockdown. And uh, yeah, so we spent far more time online than we have done actually getting to know you guys. But it's been a joy so far. So thank you for that. We live in Openshaw, literally just over the border from Gorton. If you look out of my window, I can see Gorton. It's just across the train tracks. So almost in Gorton, but not quite. We've lived in Gort, uh, Openshaw now for over 20 years, which is really, like amazing. It's been a, an amazing season for us. This morning, we're going to carry on our series looking at Ezra. We're into Ezra chapter seven, but because we uh, had this break for CCM day last week, I thought I'd give you a recap of the story so far, a rapid run through chapters one through six. Now in chapter one, the people of God have been exiled to Babylon, which means they've been defeated. Their city has been destroyed. They've been captured and transported miles away to a new city. But amazingly, the king of Babylon, this guy, King Cyrus, has been inspired by God to help the people of God return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and the city. Chapter two, 42,360 uh, people of God return from exile, uh, led by this guy called Zerubbabel. In chapter three from Zerubbabel, see what I did there, the temple is rebuilt and Jerusalem uh, is uh, kind of beginning to gain shape again. They build the altar on top of its ancient foundations and they begin to sacrifice and to celebrate. And they begin the rebuilding of the temple. Some people sing, some people cry. It's totally emotional, uh, but, we, but things get started. Then into chapter four, things come to a halt because it's all about opposition and adversary. The enemies of Judah have offered to help with the rebuilding of the temple. And uh, Zerubbabel's like, um, no, don't really fancy that. We'll get on with the building. But then they begin to build this resistance to the rebuilding. And the Samaritans write this letter saying that if Jerusalem, if the Jews complete the building of the city, then Persia will lose control and it'll all be over and done for King Arxerxes at that point. So he steps in, he says, no chance. We're not going to let them finish the build, put, to, put them to death, stop all doing all that kind of stuff, resistance comes. Then chapter five, Haggai and Zechariah, those great prophets, encourage the, the rebuilding and say, come on guys, you can do this, get cracking. 
Then into chapter six, there's this amazing, miraculous turnaround because the emperor at the time, this guy Darius, is going through all the old records, cleaning out what's in the loft, and he finds this old ancient decree from King Cyrus from back in chapter one, and he says, they've got to rebuild the temple, allow the rebuilding to be completed, and so they crack on and get it done. Uh, and then Passover is kept for the first time in the new temple, and things look good. Now, we could jump straight into chapter 7, but there's, there's something that happens between chapter 6 and 7 that we need to draw attention to, because there's a 58-year gap. You don't get that in the text, but between the end of chapter 6 and the start of chapter 7, 58 years pass by, and I want to ask, what on earth happened? Why would it be that they just stopped? Like they built the temple, but they didn't build the city. What happened there? You'd think as soon as you built the temple, you'd then crack on to the next bit, start on the walls and get the shops, get a nice Morrison's and a swimming pool sorted. But the people stop. They build the temple, then they take a break. And my thinking is this, maybe they just exhausted themselves by building the temple, that they put their tools down and never pick them up again. Like, I get that. I get the stress and strain of building a temple amidst the opposition and the resistance must have taken the best out of them. A few years ago, I did a, a sponsored bike ride. I tried to ride from Manchester to Cardiff in one day, 202 miles, and it was horrible. Trying to raise money for the message trust for those guys that I work with, but it was absolutely horrendous like I confess I wasn't in the best shape to be doing it but the first 50 miles were fine I really enjoyed it it was a gentle ride out a group of us all going at it together the second 50 miles that was really hard the third 50 miles was horrendous I came down this hill my gears got locked I got sideswiped by a lorry I ended up in a ditch, but because I was at the back, my teammates didn't see that I'd fallen off in this ditch. They carried on riding, so I had to like get myself up, sort myself out, get riding again, all alone. Ten miles later, I found them, and uh, as soon as I arrived, if you ever had this, as soon as you arrive, uh, they say, come on then, let's get back on our bikes. They just had like a half an hour break, had like a full dinner. They're ready to go again, and I was exhausted. I stopped for a pee. And I was peeing blood. Now, did you ever think you'd hear that on a Sunday morning? Maybe not. But I was in a right state. I carried on riding for a few more miles and had to get rescued at mile 165. I uh, got home a few days later, put my bike on its place on the wall and did not ride my bike for two more years. The bike hung on the wall as a reminder of my epic failure and the most miserable journey that I have ever had. And I wonder if the Israelites felt something similar. They've stressed and they've strained to try and get the temple built. Then the idea of trying to then go on to build a city is like no chance. We just want to get back to normal life. And I suppose it's a little bit like that when we come to lockdown. We've, we've made us like a monumental effort to try and survive this season. And then as soon as Boris announces that we can just, well, we're just going to relax the rules a little bit. We're like, half the nation travels to the beach. 
and we begin to do like normal things again. We want to get back to where we once were. As soon as the rules are relaxed, off we go. You see those people that are beginning to hug. I had a hug the other day. It was quite remarkable. I don't think it's allowed. But the idea of having to continue to endure this, and if Boris next week was to say to us, oh, by the way, guys, you need to go back to the way that you used to, back to rules and regulations, I think I'd have a breakdown. I don't think I could hack it again, having to go hard when we've been going hard for so many weeks. And it's been the same for these guys, these people of God. They've built the temple, then they've taken time out, and 58 years later, they have not built the city. But all the while, something exciting is happening back in Persia, in Babylon, where they once were. See, the events of this great story that I want to just quickly, briefly tell you about are found in the book of Esther. A Persian king, the Persian king who kind of sent them all on the way, has fallen in love with a Jewish girl, one of those guys that remained in Babylon. Her name was Esther. And that famous line that defines the book of Esther for such a time as this. See, the people of God were facing genocide. They were going to be wiped out. A decree had said that they were to die. But Queen Esther is used by God to rescue the people. So in that 58-year period of no building, all the story of Esther has taken place, which means that the king of Persia has got this new respect for the people of God. And he knows this, that if the people of God are happy and healthy and holy, then he and his people will be happy and healthy. Like he can see the link, take care of the people of God, and then everything will go well with you. And so he wants to bless the people of God. If he blesses the people of God, he will be blessed. But I reckon the king has gotten hold of the fact that the people of God in Jerusalem have stopped building. He thinks that they've got lazy and apathetic, and so they're no longer happy and healthy. They've begun to do things that they shouldn't really be doing. So when we get to chapter 7, we find a king who is sending the Jews back to Jerusalem to make sure that the people of God are doing the right stuff. And he sends this guy, Ezra, who is a trusted secretary. Yes, he's a Jew, but he works for the king. He works for the Persians. This guy is the guy whom the whole book is named after. I remember Colin saying this book should be called the book of Zerubbabel, but this book is called the book of Ezra. I reckon because it's probably written by Ezra. Why do I say that? Well, because when he bursts onto the scene in chapter 7, he's going to tell us his amazing CV, and he's going to remind us how awesome he is. Ezra can name his ancestors all the way back to Aaron, like the original great high priest, the first priest in the temple. He can name his descendants back. I can like do my dad and my granddad, and that's as far as I can go. But Ezra can go all the way back to the very beginning of God's holy people. He wants us to know that he's a purebred that he's bona fide, that he's genuine, that he's an authentic priest. His dad, his granddad, and his great-granddad, and his great-great-great-granddad 
all the way back have been priests. And Aaron is saying, I am a priest in the line of the great priests. I can name them all. I am definitely a priest. So believe me, I'm a priest. And he says uh, he might have been an exile and he might have even been born in a foreign land, but he's the real deal and he's the right, he has the right to act on behalf of God. And he's going to continue to remind us all the way through this chapter seven, five times he's going to give us his qualifications, a teacher, a scribe, a well-learned man, a man devoted to the word of God and to the law. This guy knows his stuff. One word that I want to draw your attention to there is this word scribe. A scribe would spend all their time copying out the holy scriptures. They didn't have printers back there. You couldn't just log onto your computer and print yourself out a Bible. A, a scribe's job was to copy out the ancient manuscripts by hand. The scribes would have, therefore have to know all the texts perfectly well. They had to ensure that it was copied out 100%, with 100% accuracy to ensure that nothing got changed from one manuscript to the next. It's not that like you could go through it and Ezra could say, well, I don't really like this bit. So um, I think I'll just change that bit. And so from then on, it'll be just a little bit different. He had to know it and understand it and faithfully ensure that he was copying it to the, as 100% accurate as he could. The scribes knew what they were talking about. He had copied time and time again the words of the scriptures. I don't know if you were like me, but when I was at school, if you were naughty, you'd get detention, and in detention, you'd be given lines. I was not a bad boy at school, but I did once have to go to detention and got 500 lines where I had to write I will not throw a dodecahedron at my classmates, regardless of how annoying they are. 500 times I had to write this. My teachers were hoping that by repeating the same sentence over and over again, I would learn from my mistakes. Well, 20 odd years later, I can still remember the line that I had to write out. The science is that copying the whole thing will help you to remember the whole thing. We were told if we were naughty and had laughed during a particular science lesson about reproduction, that we would have to copy out the whole dictionary. It was our, our kind of punishment. But this is what the scribes did, not the dictionary, but the scriptures, the holy scriptures. They would copy it out day and night. Ezra, in the line of the priests, this epic teacher and scribe is sent from the Persian king to get the people of God back on track. And he sent what they think with about 1,800 men, and not including the women and children that would, they would have walked with. They walked over 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. It takes them four months, and they're given no military escort. So there's not an army with them. They have to walk the 900 miles on their own with just a letter from the king. The king says to Ezra, go back and make God happy. Whatever, it says this in, in I think it's verse, I can't remember which verse. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should this wrath 
fall on the realm of the king and his sons. He's saying, go back there, make your God happy, fix it all, because I don't want any trouble. And he tells them to do these four things. Find out if the people are following God. Get the people worshipping God at all costs. Administer justice in his name and teach those who don't know about God all about him. Zerubbabel's job was to build the temple. Nehemiah will come and he will build the city. But Ezra's job is to build the people. Ezra's job is to get the people of God doing what the people of God should do. You know why I love this? It's because us as Christians are sent with the same quest as Ezra. Our job is to build the people of God. We don't have to set about building temples. We don't need to rebuild cities. Our job is to build the people of God, to find out if people are following God, to get them worshipping at all costs, administering justice in the name of God and teaching people all about the king. It's fascinating that Ezra carries this letter with him, a letter from the Persian king who announces himself as the king of kings. And I, I just find it fascinating. This is it in verse uh, 12. Ar it says this, it starts the le uh, letter. Archaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law of God, greetings. He calls himself the king of kings. But here's the truth. We worship the true king of kings and lord of lords. And his name is Jesus, King Jesus. In Revelation 19 verse 16, it says, on his robes and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not the King of Babylon. It's not the King of Persia who's the King of Kings, but it's Jesus Christ. And his name is above all names. My favorite passage of scripture is found in Philippians 2. And it finished, the bit that I love finishes with this. It says, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and uh, in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. We worship the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his letter to us is the Bible. His decree to us is the word of God and we should be like a scribe who knows it inside and out. We should know its power and its purpose and we should do what it says. We are to be those people who go out finding out who is following God, asking our friends and our neighbours, asking the question, do you know God? Do you know the God that I worship? And we need to be people who uh, encourage others to worship God at all costs. Are you living a life of worship? Is it sacrificial and selfless? Does your life draw attention to the goodness of God? Does your life draw people in worship of the King? And we are to be a people who administer justice in the name of the King.
In Psalms uh, 99 verse 4, it says, The king is mighty and he loves justice. You have established equity. We are working for the king. We are working to restore power to the powerless, lifting the poor from poverty, restoring those who are oppressed, taking care of the vulnerable, the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, the single parent, the elderly and the hungry. We are to bring justice in the name of the king. And we're to teach those who don't know about God all about him. We need to be declaring the greatness of our king. We need to be sharing and telling and teaching about his loving kindness, about his grace and his mercy towards us, about his goodness and his faithfulness, teaching others that the king is a great and glorious king who has a wonderful salvation plan. Tell of the king and teach those who are around us how to serve him and how to follow him. What I love about our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, is that he doesn't send us out with just his scripture and, and leave us to walk the road alone without his help. You know, that's what the king of Persia did. He sent Ezra and a bunch of guys off on this long journey without support. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords makes this great promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is with us always, even to the very end of the age. The King of Kings is with us and he's with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. His Spirit is with us always, the presence of God with us always, leading us in all truth and that's where i want to leave us today in anticipation of the holy spirit i want to leave us hungry for god knowing that the king of kings calls us about his business calls us to work with him to establish and to build his people and he says i will go with you my spirit i leave with you and so we're going to ask god to send his spirit now, the King of Kings, to give us his presence with us. So will you pray with me as I finish now? So God, we say you're so wonderful, so incredible. We are so grateful, Lord, that we get to work with you about your business. Lord, we want to build your church. We want to build your kingdom. And we want to do that with you, Lord God. And so we say, send us your Holy Spirit. God, we recognize our need for you, that we cannot do this in our own strength. We need you, God, to be with, you, with, with us, working in us, uniting us with you, God. And so we pray this morning, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Excite us for your kingdom. Stir us up, shake us from our apathy, Lord, where we might be tired and maybe we feel like we've done enough. God, just remind us again of what is right and good and true and send us, a, send us out in your name, we pray. Amen.